If you brought a Bible with you this morning, you can find John chapter 16. The words will be up there soon enough. John chapter 16. We are studying theology throughout the summer months, and we are on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I must confess up front that I am highly constrained because I want to go off in about four different directions and we won't have the time for all of that. And so we're going to try to compress a lot here this morning. And uh, that said, John 16 and beginning in verse 7, where Jesus says in the midst of his table talk the night before he died, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. If, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now watch this. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And that's where we'll stop. I love the story of Orge Rodriguez, who is who was a notorious bank robber in northern Mexico who would slip into Texas, rob banks, and then slip back into Mexico. And the Texas Rangers were, abs- were just absolutely, uh, not the baseball team, beside themselves trying to catch Orge Rodriguez. As one particular Ranger was just, had just had it up to his eyeballs with him and found him finally in a dusty Mexican bar And pulled his gun out and said, Orge Rodriguez, I found you, and I know you have the money that you've stolen from all the banks in the States. He said, you cough it up, and I know you have at least a million dollars. Cough it up right now, I'm going to blow a hole right through you. The problem is, Orge Rodriguez did not speak English. And so he's, you know, his, the blood is, he can see there's a gun pointed at him, and, and he's just all, he's all flustered, and, but there's a very calm, Mexican sitting right next to him, and he says to the Texas Ranger, Senor, Orge Rodriguez, he no understand English. I do. Tell you what, you tell me, I tell him. Him tell me, I tell you. Well, you know, the Ranger goes, well, and he says the same, you tell him, I'm going to blow him in half if he doesn't produce that million dollars right now. And so the guy, sure enough, in Spanish tells, you know, the Orge Rodriguez what the deal is. And if the blood had run from his face before, now he's petrified. And he says to the translator, you just tell him everything is, I have all the money. It's right out back in the well. It's all his. Just go and get it. And the translator looks at the Texas Ranger and says, Senor, Orge Rodriguez, him very brave man. He say, he don't care what you think. Go ahead and shoot. <laughs> Communication breakdown can be really serious. 
And when it comes to understanding God, and we are on a quest for an unshakable faith, then the Spirit of God is absolutely essential, and the Apostle Paul said as much when he said that the natural, the sukkakos, the soulish, the natural, the fleshly, the carnal man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. In fact, they are moronic. They are foolish to him. Neither can he know them because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. I love what Lorraine Bettner, the great Reformed theologian, said many years ago. He said, quote, the cross had to be endured before it could be explained. And no amount of explanation can be appreciated, much less understood, apart from the Holy Spirit of God. Now, of course, if you've been with us in our study of Romans that we suspended at the end of the school season, we'll pick up in about a month, you know that we are in chapter 8, and we went into chapter 8 very fervently on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, so we've looked theologically at him, and so today's going to be a little bit different. But it was there that Paul tells us very clearly, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So, if you'll also recall, in that series, actually it was earlier in February, we preached a message titled The The Forgotten God. We kind of stole that from Francis Chan's title of his book. And we kind of did, if you'll know, we've done I did it even when I when I candidated many years ago. We had 13 individuals up here in a sort of demonstrative theology of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember that? You can here's a little clip of it. And uh, you'll remember, you guys will some of you, you know, we said he we went through those things. We said that he restrains, convicts, regenerates, baptizes, and dwells, seals, sanctifies, fills, gives gifts, intercedes, illumines, guides, and comforts. I don't know if I did it on top of all that quite right. But once again, it was during that study of theology, we did it demonstrative. We looked, we looked at 13 present active workings of the Holy Spirit in this little walkthrough that I did up. Again, we said that he restrains, Second Thessalonians tells us, and we'll give you all this scripture in an email we'll send out, but he convicts, of course, this is clearly put out, he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. He regenerates, John chapter 3, he, he baptizes, that is, he places us into the body of Christ, and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13 says that every single person who has truly repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus, has been placed into the body of Christ, or baptized into the body of Christ. It's not some special additional blessing. He indwells. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says that. He seals. Uh, Ephesians 1 says that. He sanctifies. He fills. Here uh, over in Ephesians, which we'll get to in a moment. He gives gifts. And he intercedes. Romans chapter 8 later on told us that. He illumines, 1 John 2 tells us that, so that we can understand the Word of God. He guides us, and He comforts. We know Him as the parakletos, or paraclete, as He sometimes is called. But anyway, in, in that message that I did with that, that demonstrative theology, we, we also isolated those once and for all acts of the Holy Spirit, and when we did that, we, we talked about those as he regenerates, baptizes, and dwells, and seals. Those, er, those all take place simultaneously at the point of salvation. 
We might add gives gifts, but there's not really a definitive scripture that says that the gifts are given once and for all at salvation. There is a very interesting passage at the end of 1 Corinthians 12 which, where Paul tells us, and he uses a very powerful word when he says, in fact, it's a word which means to be zealous or jealous, to be intensely so toward desiring greater gifts. So um, it's very difficult to say that's just a thing that's dispensed by the Spirit at salvation only, and I won't go there dogmatically. But I want to focus the balance of our time this morning on the ongoing work of the Spirit of God in the believer's life. The experiential side, if you please, that seems to be intermittent at best in many lives, and in some of your lives, completely absent. I have been personally going through Galatians in my own study, and I, I was, every time I read through Galatians, I'm arrested by this verse, where Paul asks the rhetorical question, but one that we should, I mean, we should literally memorize and meditate on what he's trying to get at in our lives when he says, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's, it's, the question is, as, has insult as well as implication all over it. And that is my personal concern as a pastor of a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching, gospel-centered church, is Christians, well-intentioned Christians even, operating in the flesh. But you think you're operating in the Spirit. When the writer of Hebrews talked about God's great salvation, not to neglect this thing that God has given us, he lays out these things in, in, the, in chapter 2, and verses 3 and 4, that are evidences, so to speak, of or confirmation of God's salvation. And one of them is the gifts of the Spirit. So in other words, the very gifting of the Spirit of God in us is, is evidence of our salvation, if indeed we are saved. And as you know, week in and week out we preach the gospel because I never assume all of you are saved. I don't even assume all the, all the members are saved. i got a good friend who's pastoring a church right now. He took over an unusual church that has a solid doctrinal statement, but has had liberal pastors in it for years. And these people are all in their 70s, 80s, and some of them are in their 90s. He says, he says Pat, I don't think most of them are even saved. He's got older people coming to him saying, I'm very interested in what this whole salvation thing is. I said, I said dude, you know you're doing something right when your members start getting saved. I just want to, just be, as, we, as we sort of morph our way to the table, to the communion table, which we'll explain, I want to just pose four questions to you uh, out of this doctrine, which we, again, you know, are not going to be able to delve too deeply into today. But what a, what a great doctrine, the doctrine of the Spirit of the living God, who Jesus is talking about here. He personalizes him. He calls him he and defies all the grammar of Greek by calling what anybody else would call him it. He calls a he. And he says, he's, I'm going to send another comforter. He uses another unique Greek word, which means another of the exact same kind. So he aligns the Spirit of God with himself, and we and this is certainly akin to the doctrine of the Trinity, that we have one God, three persons, you know, they're perfectly united in their essence, but distinct in their personalities. So the first question I have with you is this. It's a real simple one. Are you a Christian? Are you really 
a Christian. I didn't ask if you were raised in a Christian church. I wasn't asked if you were raised, I didn't ask if you were raised in a Christian home. I'm not even asking if you aspire to Christian, Christianity's, the tenets of the faith. That is what it takes to become a Christian. I'm asking you a very simple question. Are you a Christian? Don't assume that you are so quickly. In fact, I'm convinced that some of you who think you're Christians are not Christians. I think churches are filled with people who think they're Christians that aren't Christians. And I mean Bible-believing churches. And that's a scary thing. I think that's the whole idea behind Jesus' words in that scariest passage in the New Testament where masses of people will stand before him someday, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness, because God sees our hearts. Just the other day, I conducted a membership class and received an email a day later, and with her permission, I, I, will, I will read without giving her name this excerpt. Here's what she wrote me. She said, when you said, everyone has a salvation story, don't make the assumption that your knowledge about God means you're saved, unquote. It was like the Holy Spirit was talking through you to me. The whole next day, I couldn't get those words out of my mind. I kept thinking, what's my salvation story? Do I know when I was saved? And she emphasizes these words I'm emphasizing. Those are questions that I've struggled with for years. I realized that I didn't know when I was saved because although I believed in God, in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, I had never in my heart asked Jesus to be my Savior. When God laid that on my heart, it was like, holy smokes. My husband then asked, have you ever prayed to accept Jesus as your Savior? I said, I don't know. I, I think so. I mean, I believe he is. Which he replied, well, why don't you, Well, what's stopping you from doing so right now? So that's exactly what I did. With tears rolling down my face, I admitted I was a sinner, and I asked God to forgive me and fill me with the Holy Spirit, and I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Unquote. That was a weak maker. And Jesus did say in John chapter 3 that it is, did you notice all those references to the Holy Spirit even in her email? Jesus said in John chapter 3 verses 5 through 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, which is exactly where some of you are still. But that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And don't be surprised, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wills. You hear the sound of it. You can't tell where it comes from, where it's going. So is everyone. There is an effect. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Here's a second question. How do you judge whether or not you operate in the Spirit? How do you judge whether or not you operate in the Spirit? Let's go back to that haunting question that Paul has in Galatians 3. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh? 
Now, you can tell even by this question that the Apostle Paul was beside himself over these Galatians who were so quick to trust Jesus and just as quick to go back to the law because it's a more comfortable place to be. Rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. This, as I said, this rhetorical question is filled with implication. Of course the answer is no, but he's giving us insight. If you trust Jesus, I mean truly trust Jesus, if you are regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that's what the phrase begun, having begun by the Spirit, and then live by the letter of the law. I call these, who's that guy on, on uh, Star Trek, the navigator, uh, uh, Chekhov. Remember, Mr. Chekhov, remember him? That's what you are, you're Chekhov Christians. You just check off whether you're doing right, doing wrong, doing right, doing wrong, doing right, doing wrong. You're just, you don't even realize that you're still a law-bound man. You're a, law, a law-bound woman. This is the same epistles, epistle rather that speaks of the freedom that we have in Christ. I have some questions I want to pose to you. I didn't, I didn't put these up on the, on the screen, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. Just to just ask you these questions and because if you, here they are, do you react, do you react rather than repent when you're confronted? If you react rather than conf- repent, you're not walking in the Spirit. Do you record rather than release? That is, do you record offenses rather than release them? If that's your tendency, you are not walking in the Spirit. I told a story years ago about I had a record of several things that this guy I worked with years ago in another church had done, and when he came into my office, the Spirit of God convicted me to confess my own sin. And when I did that, I didn't even touch the ones that I had, the indictments I had against him. So do you record rather than release? If so, you're not walking in the Spirit. Do you recount your efforts rather than renounce your pride? Is it your tendency to recount the wonderful things that are a part of your life rather than renounce your pride? If, that would, if you'd say that's you, then you are not walking in the Spirit. Do you resist authority rather than gladly submit to it? And I did mean gladly. If, you, if your tendency is to resist authority rather than to submit to it, you are not walking in the Spirit. And finally, do you relish your reputation more than you relish the praise of God? And again, your actions will tell you whether that's true or not. If that's the case, you are not walking in the Spirit. Remember, Paul says at the end of that toward the end of this great epistle on the freedom that we have in Christ in Galatians 5, but I say walk in the Spirit, you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. And then he begins to unpack what it means to gratify the flesh. In fact, he ends up Galatians chapter 5 and verse, in chapter 5 verse 26 with these words, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What a great line. If we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with Him. Here's the third question. How early in the day? This is a lengthy one, so. How early in the day do you meditate on God's words? And how often during the day do you actually think on them? 
How early in the day do you meditate on God's words? And most of you know that I am adamant and passionate about this. How early in the day do you meditate upon God's words? And how often during the day do you actually think on them? Do you remember what the psalmist said? Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day long. Have you ever read that? Now, why do I point this out? I thought we were talking about the Holy Spirit and his operation in my life. I am talking about that. I'm building my case. We have a command, and many of you are familiar with it. It's found in Ephesians chapter 5, in verse 18, where it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. He uses the analogy. Drunkenness means you're under the control of something outside of yourself, you placed inside of yourself, but be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And then he unpacks what that looks like. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So he says in this, if you'll keep looking at it, he says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is a, that's a command, and it's a present imperative, which means it should be an ongoing thing. So we might debate, now this is important because I'm not getting into the charismatic movement or something, I don't have the time for that today, one way or another. Whether you are a charismatic or one like Mark Driscoll would say, a charismatic with a seat belt, whatever. I'm not getting into that, okay? But we might debate the differing experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. But one thing is not debatable. That is that we are commanded to be filled, and continuously so, by the Spirit of God. Now, listen This is called, Ephesians is called a prison epistle. And the reason it's called that is because Paul wrote it from a jail, chained to a Roman soldier. And Ephesians was not the only epistle he wrote at the the exact same time period as he wrote to the Ephesians. He wrote that little letter to Philemon. And he, he didn't just write that, he also wrote to, he wrote the Philippians during this exact same first imprisonment. But you know what other letter he wrote? He wrote Colossians. And if you read the book of Ephesians and you read the book of Colossians, they literally lay on top of each other. They're so closely aligned. And I tell you that because we just saw what Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine, which is debauchery, excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And here are all the things that are going to take place if you are that way. Notice that the Apostle Paul was writing to the Colossians What he says, he literally says almost the exact same thing, except he substitutes some of his verbiage. Look at it, if you will. Colossians 3, 16. Here's what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell in you deeply or richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Look at this. In all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. It's a a virtual mirror to Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. But, it's, but there's no reference to the Holy Spirit, if you'll notice. The word dwell there literally means to settle in, to be at home with it. carries the idea of something that possesses influence in your life. And so you can see where I'm going here. You have 
the Spirit of God being filled with the Spirit of God and being controlled by the Word of God is virtually being used as synonymous with one another. In fact, Tim Keller said as much when he said, a word-filled life is a spirit-filled life, quote, unquote. So anybody who tries to tell you, oh, you know, that's just legalism, you know, make it ha- reading your Bible and meditating. Listen, you say, well, they didn't have Bibles in the first century. No, they just memorized whole books of the Bible. And unless you're doing that, you know, more power to you, you need to spend time with God and his word because God, his word, and his spirit are so synonymously put together in terms of the, the life that's controlled by God. And that's what we want, don't we? And if you follow the book of Acts, you see these great men of God. You see Peter, you see Paul, you see Stephen, you see James, and they're all referenced be filled with the Holy Spirit and power and courage. And people are saying, wow, they must be with Jesus. And if you read those sermons, they're all filled with the Word of God as well as the Spirit of God. They're synonymous. They're not the same. The Spirit of God is a person. The Word of God isn't a person. But it's living and active, is it not? And so you see these things occurring. And, and, and what, it, what happens, and the outflow is the same. There's, look at the joy. There's spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart. You're addressing one another in spiritual ways. You're grateful. You have this effervescence of gratitudes flowing out of and you're submissive to one another. And all that is akin to being spirit-filled as you are word-filled. Our pastoral staff and the greater engaged network that we're a part of is not a good old boys club as it has been accused of being at, at one time. That is the most ludicrous accusation I've ever heard in my life. And, and it's born of flat-out ignorance. Any insider, and a few of you have been there, know how word-saturated this group of men are who literally speak to one another, confront one another, submit to one another. And that includes me. I'll share something with you next week in a message after an interview with one of our missionaries that... Uh, that will, Lord willing, really help you in your understanding of how to walk further in this whole business of living in the Spirit. So, that question I pose to you is, on your time with the Word of God, how early in the day do you get into it? How often during the day do you meditate upon it? It should be something that's just sort of flowing through. You say, well, i gotta, I got I to gotta run machinery in the factory. I can't be quoting Bible verses. No, but the truth of God should be going through your life as you work. Right? I have one more question before we go to the Lord's table. What gifts would you claim to possess that are truly gifts of the Spirit? Now, again, we'll list this for you later. There are several passages in the Bible, Romans 12. We'll get to that eventually. Ephesians 4, chapter back from the one we read a little earlier. 1 Peter deals with this as well. 1 Corinthians 12, of course. These are all passages that are replete with uh, the gifts that God sovereignty, sovereignly dispenses through his spirit, whether it's at the point of salvation or in different places of our lives. He's the one giving them out. But the question is, what gifts would you claim to possess that are truly spiritual gifts? And here's the secondary question. Is it possible you are claiming something you don't own. 
Okay, so when you read the gifts and you do a study of spiritual gifts in the Bible, and it doesn't matter whether they're service gifts all the way to the more extraordinary gifts. And, and by the way, let's not get... I, I am tired of this clean, sanitized study of the Holy Spirit. If, if, if uh, C.S. Lewis is right when he says, Aslan, who is a, you know, this representation of Jesus, is not a tame lion, neither is the Holy Spirit. When he unleashes himself into our lives and fills our lives and controls, he does give power. He does give courage. He does effervescence our lives with love. And when you see what the gifts of God do in the church, they always bind. They always bless. They always unify. And if your gift is dividing the church, it's not a gift or it's a misused one at best. And it always gives joy. The Spirit of God always brings joy. If you're a Christian, you have a gift. First Peter 4.10 says that. Are you using it? Does it bind? Does it bless? Does it unify? Does it bring joy to those who are around you? When people are around you think, I like being around her. I like being around her. It brings joy to my life. He blesses me with the truth and the abilities that God has given to him, has given to her. Is that happening? Would you say that? Is it true of you? Personality aside. If not, perhaps you're claiming a gift that you don't own. That's a serious, that's serious stuff. And talk about stuff. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I just heard this the other day, and some of you probably did as well. Just the other day, amazing story. In Kingsport, Tennessee, a tornado went through there. Anybody hear about this? A tornado went through this town. I think it wrecked about 20 homes. Didn't kill anybody. Scared a lot of people. But here's how the story goes. After the tornado goes through, this one neighbor walks out and he sees his other neighbor's yard and he, and he says to him, hey, you need to go out and look at your neighbor's garden. Now, wait a minute. You got a neighbor. You got all these houses are wrecked. And the tornado goes through the house, wrecks these houses. And out in the garden of this guy's house is a bright red air compressor, a weed eater, a ratchet, and an air hose that were all stolen from the neighbor next door. The guy who stole them had a tornado go through his house that just simply dispensed all the stolen items out in the yard in front of everybody to see. True story. True story. They tried to arrest him, but he was already in jail for stealing his girlfriend's van. I'm not kidding you. You can't make this stuff up. If God throughout all of the Holy Spirit's characteristics you claim to possess but you truly don't into your yard, what would they be? What would be laying out there? We're told as we come to the communion table, we are to examine ourselves, right? Let a man examine himself, then partake 
of the elements of communion. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. Are you a Christian? Let's start there. That's pretty basic, isn't it? And some of you are not. You, you need to be like this young lady that wrote me the letter and said, I thought I was a Christian because I knew all the answers. But thankfully, because the Spirit of God, and she referenced him three times, was involved, she was submissive, she was humble, she was repentant, and she trusted Jesus, and she's in the kingdom of God right now. You can be too. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? And are you living, operating, and walking in the Spirit of God? Do you meditate daily and throughout the day on the Word of God? Because as you've seen here, they are so meshed together. Everything else is Pharisaism, legalism, law. And are you claiming gifts that are not your own? Let's start with this one. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's start with that. In order to partake of the communion elements that we're about to dispense, you must be a Christian. Now, a bell's not going to go off if you take these things, as some of you will that aren't Christians, and identify you. But believe me, if you partake of these sacred elements in an unworthy manner, God says you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. That's a scary place to be. Why would you even go there? That's why you want to examine yourself. That's why we want to look at ourselves before God. The bread depicts the perfect life of Jesus. It's just symbolic, but it's, it's a powerful symbol of the perfect life of Jesus. And every time we take his perfect life and we put it up against our current life, not the one we lived 10 years ago or 20 years ago, our current life, we'll still lose because I'm still a sinner, and so are you. So we examine ourselves up against the perfect life of Jesus who was tempted in all ways like we are yet without what? Without sin. And then we partake of the juice which represents his blood. We think of his death. We think of his dying. We think of his sacrifice on our behalf. And we worship him for his love for us on the cross. So that's where we start. With a time of examination. Let's get this Christian thing down first. Amen? Let's get this down. Am I a Christian? And then if you are, am I really, I mean really operating in the spirit of God? Will you pray with me as the deacons come and ready ourselves for communion? Our Father, we are thankful today that we can open up your word and look, albeit briefly, into this amazing and powerful doctrine of the third person of your eternal Godhead, the spirit of the living God. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be doing something extraordinary even now as we pray. In many hearts, 
There may be people here who have been members of this church for many years and even held positions of, of authority, of a teacher, an usher, or something like that, but they're not saved. They've never truly repented. They've never truly submitted to you, God. I pray that you will speak to their hearts and give them the desire to repent. And I do pray, Lord, for those who are who are here that would call themselves Christians, and indeed they are. But they're not living by your spirit. That through this examination, Lord, they would confess their sin and ask for your supernatural power to flow through them, recommit themselves to the living and active word of God on a daily basis. As we've come to believe that our understanding and submission to your word is so akin to walking in the Spirit. And then, Lord, if we're claiming gifts we don't really possess, we're thieves. Don't make a tornado go through our lives to expose us completely. And so I ask that you do a special thing during this time as we examine ourselves in conclusion of our time In Jesus' name, amen.